welcome back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce, and I'm joined on the line by Lux. Lux, how are you now? And I'm honestly doing good. Pretty nice weather we've been having the past few days and thing. We've only been staying now, in the upper 80s. And that's Fahrenheit, by ooh. the way. That's that's no no I understand that that's like that be that's nice that's a nice proper summer but not outrageous like like once you start pushing into the mid to high nineties you're like this isn't comfortable anymore this isn't fun this isn't enjoyable this just hurts right yeah and so in the you know mid to high eighties like that's summertime and that's okay like no one's gonna complain about like when it's eighty six or eighty eight degrees but when it starts to be like ninety five people go and now it's really not 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 cool anymore it hurts. It hurts. It's not pleasant. I was going to say, are you really good? Because, I mean, you know, the old internal organs causing you some grief with the old lactose intolerance? Yeah, no, think of all nights, I decided to pick tonight to go off. Well, you know, sometimes when you, you know, did you, were you sneaking a little pizza? Were you sneaking a little cheesy treat there, my friend Lux? Yeah, yeah I had some pizza earlier today. Well, that would do it every yeah. time. Was it worth it? Was it a good pizza, at least? Yeah. And let me tell you, like, it was from a place called Quick Trip. And uh, right. let me tell you, like, it outpizzas the hut. Well, okay, that's not hard. Pizza Hut's not exactly known for its outstanding quality. It's one of those things where you're, like, you're looking for, like, a re- like let's be like, Pizza Hut pizza is never awful. Like, I don't know what it's like in the United States, but here in Canada, like, if you want bad pizza, you go to, like, Domino's. Like, Domino's is bad. Like, it's not good. It's bad pizza. And Pizza Hut's always, like, a couple of steps better. So let's say if you're at a 10-point scale, your Domino's is, like, a 4. All right? It's it's pretty bad. Yeah. Your Pizza Hut's always, like, a 6. Maybe maybe it's a 7, but it's somewhere between, like, a 6 and a 7 every single time, which is good for a, a pizza chain, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, I'm willing to bet this this joint that you ordered from, like, are they like a mom and pop shop or like a or a smaller pizza joint? And they, it's a, and a a convenience store and a gas station. Really, and it's yep. good. They do good pizza there because, like, yep. yeah, yeah. When those exi- when, around here, those are not good typically. Like, they're but anyway, I'm glad to hear that the pizza was was actually good. Um, because we ordered Pizza Hut on the weekend, and like it was, it was fine. All right, it was fine. It's as typically Pizza Hut pizza is. It's a little greasy, right? It's a little greasy, a little heavy, but it's not bad. So it's it's better than Domino's. Domino's pizza up here in Canada, I, and I would challenge anybody who's here, who a Canadian listener, to tell me otherwise. It is not good pizza, and they will not sponsor this podcast. <laughs> Maybe. Pizza Hut will, but I don't think so even then. Um, but Domino's will certainly not. Mind you, I'm not. Sure, I'm sure I'd take the money if they were to go to sponsor us and like keep the lights on an extra month or two. But <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, otherwise, though, all good. Yep. Store's doing okay. People are coming back and happy to get back into the store and playing. Oh, definitely. Nice. Glad to hear. Glad to hear people are getting back into the swing of things. I know that Delta variant is is buzzing around, and people are, uh, you know, worried about it. But uh, hopefully, it means we can keep the keep the stores open and people come into play. And 
enjoying playing cards again with people instead of by yeah. themselves. And let me tell you, like, I honestly miss seeing the salty looks on uh, my playgroup's faces. Lux! And... You're supposed to play nice at first. <laughs> you, you, I got that laugh. <laughs> there's, there's nothing nice about that laugh. That's the laugh of a man who's a professional griefer, ladies and gentlemen. That is Lux griefing his opponents for giggles. Um, did you Jocko hops them, or what did you do? And then no, they what I did was and then I just kept pinging them. They they ensuring that they literally had no creatures whatsoever to do anything with. You're pinging them, like as in like you're like picking off their creatures one at a time. Yep. How did they not just kill you? And tokens, like chump blockers. Oh, so you make chumpers and then you ping away yep. and kill all their stuff. This seems like a questionable strategy, but I'm all for it. As long as everybody giggles and have fun. Well, no, you correction. As long as you giggle and have fun with that. Uh, do you bring that laugh out too when you go and do it? And a uh, big time. Nice, perfect. So the Lux gets to play the villain and is loving it. All right. <laughs> oh man. Um, all right, don't forget, folks, if you like what you hear here on the show, uh, be sure to check out all of our content on thelotuscouncil.com. That's where you can catch every episode of the podcast. And this being episode 74, there's a lot of them for you to pick up. Um, so, uh, but you can also find so much more at thelotuscouncil.com and not just the podcast. Uh, you can find box openings, you can find game gameplay, uh, you can find people uh, when Wow Wow streams uh, Arena. Um, but by far and away, the best piece of the, of the channel or of the, of the website is access to their discord where you can find oodles of people who love to play magic the gathering and with a particular focus on EDH. So come on in and check out their discord. Just come and talk to the people, the brain trust that's there, the great perspectives on the game. Uh, you get some people who are spiky and playing competitive or quasi competitive. Uh, you get some people like us who play it on a more casual basis. There's lots of great people, lots of great perspectives on, on the Discord. So come and check us out um, at thelotuscouncil.com and, and click the link. The link is also going to be in the show notes. So you can come and check them right out. Get to the Discord straight away. Come on and see for yourself. I think you're going to like it. A lot of great things going on there. Um, and lively conversation to be had with everybody uh, going there on the on the Discord. All right, folks? So... Come and check out thelotuscouncil.com. All right, next, we're going to have... Uh, today's show is in three segments, all right? So segment one is we're going to do our typical garbage or great. Segment two, this would be our normal time where we'd have Judge Chris joining us for um, to go through the rules of the newest set, which is the Adventures in the Forgotten Realms. Judge Chris is unable to join us tonight, but what he has done for us is he's written down his rulings to all the questions that we would normally have asked and has tried to be as thorough as he possibly can. So we're going to try and, uh, you know, read through his comments and explain, like, you know, where the question came from in the first place, but also how he would choose to explain them as a judge to help everybody who's listening today maybe understand the cards and how they interact just a little bit better. And then, last but not least, we've got a, a deck tonight. So tonight, 
A little less on the budget side, um, although it is still, I would consider it to be a budget deck. Um, but it's going to be Tiamat, uh, which is the new Dragon Legend from Adve Adventures of the Forgotten Realms, which is real expensive. But it's going to be my attempt to, uh, to build a Dragon deck, five-color Dragon deck, playing uh, predominantly Treasure Makers and not, uh, and not like, dedicated ramp pieces like you would typically find in Dragon decks. So we'll have a look at it, see what people think, and you can let us know uh, through social media if we missed the boat or if you think there might be something to it. All right, so let's get down to business. Lux, tonight's garbage great card is Angel of Serenity. This one's a goodie, but an oldie. So uh, four white, white, white for eight. an angel. It's a five, six, and it has flying. When Angel Serenity enters the battlefield, you may exile up to three other target creatures from the battlefield and or creature cards from graveyards. Notice the from graveyards, not your graveyard. When Angel Serenity leaves the battlefield, return the exile cards to their owner's hands. So, Lux, what do you think this particular card is? Is this garbage or is this great? And like, honestly, like, I don't like the, the fact that nothing. Honestly, like I would mostly use the ability for my own graveyard. Like I am not going to give my opponents any kind of gift. Like no and a special treatment for you. Uh, I would tend to agree with you. I think the only time that I would tend to use Angel Serenity it was if this is again on my opponents' things would be if I was looking to uh, remove a blocker or two that may be plugging up the battlefield. And I was looking to, you know, then once their 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 difficult creature was gone, I could then alpha strike and, and end their game, right? Like it was sort of like a temporary, get their blocker out of the way, get them. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think I would, in almost every circumstance, use this to exile things from my own graveyards or things from my for the, that are on the battlefield that have an interesting end of the battlefield trigger, but. Um, have been used already and so allow me to reset them sort of once because you know invariably a 5-6 flyer like this is going to be removed your opponent's not going to allow you to keep um, a gigantic creature like this for too long are they like they're, they're going to kill this right yeah, like, so, it's, yeah it's, they... you're going to get all those cool cool creatures back <laughs> and so you could do it so maybe it's your skyclave apparition maybe it's um, I don't know what other what other cool. There's lots of great cards with great end of the battlefield triggers. So, um, you know, maybe it's maybe it's your ravenous chupacabra, right? You go just straight up get it back, kill a thing. Because I mean, the two two on the battlefield is not awesome, but playing it again is awesome. So, you know, there's lots of great things you can do with Angel Serenity. So, if we decided that we're predominantly using to target our things. Yep. What do we think? Are we playing? How how much do we play this card? And honestly, they even though like I spelt you know, like a lot of stuff about green and thing, like this is a white card, and like that casting cost is kind of a turnoff for me. That's fair. No, definitely seven mana is big. Um, but let's see. Okay, so it's currently being played in. 6,300 decks on EDH Rec, which, so it's obviously fairly popular, but not among the most popular white cards, I would imagine. Um, so, I mean, it's reasonably popular. 
high man, high, I think the high mana cost obviously uh, holds us back. Yeah. Let's do let's do a little a little comparison. So I'm gonna compare this to Mahamodi to Jin. Yeah. Alright, so Mahamodi is four blue blue, so six mana for a five six flyer. Straight up, no extra no additional text. And so you're getting so for the same body, you get you're spending one extra mana, but you get a you get a lot more value out of the Angel of Serenity. Now I will be honest, Mahamori to Jin is in a, itself is under is in under seventy decks, so it's not very prominently played to say the least. Um, you know, so I'm I tend to I tend to sort of agree with your Lux. That, I mean, I think even though that one extra mana and a different color gives you a lot of extra power and a lot of extra impact into the game, I also think you know it's it's a little on the high end to cast, and so. Your deck's got to really want to leverage that ability. Like, that's not to say that people don't want to play the card. If there's a reason to play your card, you're an angel deck, you got, you know, you're looking for to to um, have things re-enter the battle, the, the, you know, your maybe it's your recursion package. Um, there's lots of things that you can do with it, but... Um, yeah, because yeah, as I was going to say is that... They- there are ways of being able to and reduce the casting costs, you know, when they have the token makers out on the field, like with like creature tokens and then have something like critical lift right. But thing is they yeah. how quickly you're gonna be able to get all that set up. No, for sure. Now I look at the I look at this Angel Serenity and I'm like now looking at like how do I break this card and like so it's not just a five six flyer, but there there are lots of ways to do it. You can use it as a as a really cool way to generate some pretty significant card advantage in white with things like Conjurer's Closet or what is the new white one from uh, from the set that is a enchantment. I'm gonna find it. And I'm gonna be annoyed at myself because I've talked about it now a couple of weeks in a row. Uh, where'd it go? Ah, so annoyed at myself. Teleportation Circle. So Teleportation Circle is in white. Conjurer's Closet is an artifact. You can both run them in a deck playing uh, this. Uh, Brago uh, would be another one. And you, like, if you can generate, you know, play, use those sorts of cards to use this as a way to re- just bring back scads of things from your, from your hand, uh, to your, you might be actually... You know, pretty far ahead, but I think generally speaking, you're not going to get. It's just going to come down to the five six flyer, and it's going to die pretty promptly, and you're just going to get your things back. So, yeah, that's my that's my thought. So, I, don't know. I mean, personally, I don't think the card is garbage. I like it. I run it in a deck. I know. I know. I have a deck that runs it. Um, but I am also very circumspect about where I place it. Like it just doesn't go in everything. So, I guess because of the limitations of where you want to put it, it is pro- it probably has to be categorized as garbage, doesn't it? Yeah. Sadly. Like, like sadly. I, got really, I, I do really like the card. Um, I like it from the standpoint of the price point. I like the effect. The only thing I don't like is the converted mana cost being so bloody high, but I don't know what I thought was going to happen for a card that does so much in terms of recurring three potentially three very powerful things back to my hand. So, I don't know. 
uh, I guess I have to come down the side of garbage, if only because it's just it's just so prohibitive. Like triple white is hard to is hard to just to manage. I gotta bet there's lots of like, if you run this in a three color deck, there's lots of three color decks that just aren't gonna be able to cast it. Right? Like, how 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 far would a three color deck have to go? How many turns would it have to generate triple white? I imagine quite quite a distance, like it'd be qu quite a number of turns. And is at that point, is this game over, or like is Angel Serenity even relevant? I think it might just be too too slow and you know not good anymore. Yeah, because like, odds are that like, people are gonna like somewhat to figure out what you're up to, and they're gonna be focusing you. They you're gonna be singled out as a threat. Maybe. Hey, maybe <laughs> if you're blinking everything for value, you, you they, they may be wise to your game pretty quick. So, uh, I'm gonna have to come down inside of garbage. I mean, as much as I like the card, I'm not convinced that it's gonna particularly have a significant impact on the world of you know the world of playing commander. So, um, yeah, yeah like, if were, like, four, like if it was like four or five mana, yeah, and like they'd probably be great, but no, they. Well, I mean, so if this was if this was like five mana and and exile two things, that would be absurd value. Yeah, as they, and of course they take away the triple white as well, and they probably you know they have it. They, yeah, they they make it, if, one. Well, if you make it if you make it the same casting cost as Sarah Angel, like three white white, exile two things, like same text in every in every way, shape, or form. I think it'd be I think and make it a four four instead of a five six. I think that'd be more than fair. Yeah. But they made it they made it a five six for seven and there we have it. So yep. big old angel, it's hard to And Restoration Angel is kinda neat, but not quite the same. But Restoration Restoration Angel and Angel Serenity play together beautifully. Whew. Although now you're casting eleven mana worth of angels. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> you gotta have a lot of mana for that play, um, but very, very conceivably in that situation, like you are literally like emptying your graveyard of all your creatures, and they're all coming back to either being exiled or in your hand. So, yeah, there's some there's some merit to that. All right, so uh, let's be, so final verdict before the people at your store make fun of us too much more. Is this garbage or great? And garbage. I'm gonna have to come down on garbage too. Yeah. Gonna have to come down. On it. But we, that doesn't mean we don't like the card, right? Like, I like the card. No, like, it's, it's just, not a dumpster fire, it's not heart garbage, it's just something that we had to throw out. Yeah, it's too bad. Too bad. Yeah. All right, um, give me a second, Alex. I'm going to go and shut something off. Hold on a second. All right. Sorry about that. A little bit quieter now, huh? I didn't hear anything. Good, because I was running my air, my dehumidifier in my in my basement since it is um, it is uh, quite humid and my basement gets uh, <clears throat> smells gross if I don't de if I don't run the dehumidifier. So we'll take a break while we record today. All right. Um. So moving on, we have rules with Judge Chris, and while he's not, he may not be here. He's here in spirit and has left us um, his explanations for things. So we're going to start with the mechanics, and um, the mechanics in this set, I think, are pretty straightforward. There aren't really too many. Um, sort of the big mechanic of the set was venture into, or is venture into the dungeon. Um, 
And so, what is a dungeon? Where do I play it? Is it in my deck? Or is it sit outside my deck? Is it part of my sideboard? What's up? And then last but not least, what else do I need to know about dungeons? These are the questions I asked Judge Chris. So what is a dungeon? A dungeon is a card uh, that is outside of the, of, of the game. Um, and uh, when a card tells you to venture into the dungeon, in you go. And uh, each por portion of your card has a, has, a, has a room that your character is going to venture into. And an effect. Uh, so let's pull up a dungeon and have a quick look. So uh, we've got uh, the Lost Mine of Fendelver. So when you enter it the very first time, so your your character ventures into the into the it has Scry One, and then the next time you venture, so you can either choose to go into the Goblin Lair or the mine or mine tunnels, uh, where you know Goblin Lairs create a one one red Goblin creature token. Mine tunnels create a treasure token. And then you do it again. So the third, the sort of the third level is a storeroom. Put some put some counter on target creature. The dark pool. Each opponent loses one life, and you gain a life. And then a fungi cavern. Target creature gets minus four, minus zero until your next turn. And then last but not least, you have the temple of Dumathoin, which just says draw a card. So every time you venture, you go into one of these rooms, um, which is kind of neat, uh, and definitely and definitely uh, captures the flavor of Dungeons and Dragons, I think, in a pretty admirable fashion. Uh, now, where do you play it? So, that is now one more thing that we need to bring with us if we are intending to play Dungeons. Um, so, sort of like a token or an emblem. Uh, it sort of acts in sort of the same way as an emblem. So, there really is no way for your opponents to interact with it to remove the dungeon. Right, Lux? Is that, my, did I, did I, is that correct? And seems like it. Yeah, like I, you know, I've had a little bit of practice now playing with it on Arena, and I've not seen any cards that have actually been able to remove a dungeon from play. Um, so it's sort of my, you know, my, my basically read on it is that it behaves similarly to an emblem, where there is no, it sort of sits outside of the game, and we can't really interact with it. Uh, it does not, is not a card in your deck. Nor does it take a slot in your sideboard. It's just something else that you need to bring along with you. And once you enter into the dungeon, it now the dungeon is going to enter in and be played in your command zone, uh, which is kind of an interesting place for it. But I guess, for lack of a better term, and not making up additional zones needlessly, um, they made a zone that is involved in the game but is essentially untouchable, like your command zone, so that you you can't have your commander removed. Uh, from the game out generally, but now you can't have anyone diddle with your dungeon. Um, all right, and so that's sort of the key portions of the dungeons. Uh, there's a number of payoffs and, and enablers in the set. Um, have you had a chance to play with any dungeon cards yet, Lux? No, I have not. So I was fooling around with it a little bit on Arena, and it seems like a kind of a fun mechanic. But like anything else, it sort of gets shoehorned into a set for flavor reasons or just because it struggles from having a lack of um, enough playable cards for it to be a meaningful and long-lasting, impactful mechanic in, I would argue, our format. Right? There's just not enough, because this is the only set that it appears in, and there, is no, and there just isn't enough good cards with the venture into the mechanic venture into the, the dungeon mechanic, it's a little tricky to make it a concerted effort to play this as part of your deck. 
So I've tried. I've tried it on. I've tried it in standard and on and in brawl, and it sort of works. Um, it feels very much like a limited mechanic, where in limited there are going to be very real and tangible benefits, and you might actually have time enough to play this card or these venture into the, into the dungeons cards to significant effect. But I think in our format, Lux, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, I'm not sure Venture into the Dungeon is really designed with Commander play in mind. Honestly, it doesn't feel like it is. No, it doesn't feel like it, and then having played with it a little bit, I don't think it really is generally, but we will see. Maybe we find it appears in an upcoming set in the next couple, couple of months, and now all of a sudden we have a critical mass of dungeon enablers, and that could make them, you know, be a thing again. Uh, next, we have die rolling as being part of the the game, uh, and so you need a, a random number generator. Uh, so your spin down die is often what most of us are going to use. I do remember a lot of people making a big fuss about whether or not the spin down die that were part of our bundles and other things really aren't suitable dice. Or, or die for um, for this purpose. Did you hear anything to that effect, Lux? Is your store? Did anyone come in and say anything to you about you know? Oh, we need to be selling. You need to be be stocking actual twenty sided die, not not you know these spin down. I haven't heard anything like that. No, I was reading about it on. I think it must have been Reddit. I think somebody was complaining about how. The, the spin-down dice in the bundles that you get in your pre-release kits aren't really um, appropriate to be used as actual dice because there's a, a, a problem in the ordering on the, on the dice that isn't suitably randomized. I don't know. I question. I think most of us have just have these 20, 20-sided spin-down die and we just sort of have to make do with it and just roll it. Like... <laughs> Or I guess you can program your random number generator on the computer or phone or whatever you got. So, um, then we had class cards, which is a new. It's not a new creature, a new card type, but it is a new uh, idea, which is kind of like. So it is an enchantment that you cast. Um, and we'll go and have a look at a at a class card. So, for instance, we'll look at Barbarian Class. So, Barbarian Class is a one red for a uh, an enchantment, and it's called enchantment and it was a subtype class, and, and it's got three levels. Mm, pardon me. So, you have a level one. If you would roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the lowest roll, and then you can so but. Because this is templated similarly to the to the sagas, it has two other levels. But you, this time, instead of just act progressing through them naturally the way a saga would, you have to pay mana in order to get the benefit of level two. Uh, where at level two, you'll get you'll get whatever the benefit of level one, and now at level two is offering you. So level two says whenever you roll one or more dice, target creature you control gets plus two plus zero oh, and gains menace until end of turn. Uh, so you would get um, you would get the level one benefit and the level two benefit, 
and you'd have to spend one in a red, and I'm, you have to uh, do that to go up a level during sorcery, at sorcery speed on your turn. And last but not least, Barbarian class says, two in a red, level three, creatures you control have haste. So you can get dice rolling benefits, you get pump bonus and evasion, and then last but not least, your creatures have haste. Now, Lux, I'm going to ask you, have you, what, what has your experience been with any of the sagas? Have you seen any of them in action, whether you've cast them or um, people are playing them on tables, or what, what, do you, what have you seen? And I've seen like, one or two, but and, and so far, and they, they haven't been really popular. No, and I think for our purposes in Commander, I think the one that is going to see the most play is going to be Paladin class. Um, because Paladin class has got a stacks effect to it, so spells your opponents cast during your turn cost one more to cast. It's not a big effect, but I think if someone's looking to slow down decks that like to play at, um, at, at, on your turn, then it's going to be able to slow them down quite a bit. I, we also talked about Rogue's class as being something we liked. Um, Ranger's class is another one. Like, so they're all, they're, they're, they're decent, they're interesting cards. I think there's going to be uses for them. Um, and there's sort of a neat hybrid between uh, a saga and, uh, I guess, a leveling creature that we, we saw was Zen, the original Zendikar set. Um, any other thoughts there, Lux, on, on class cards? Anything I missed? Uh, no, not really. Okay. And last but not least, I, read it, I put it down here as being uh, part of the mechanics of the set. But there's a lot of impetus, impetus to be playing treasure in this set. Uh, lots of treasure makers, lots of treasure cards, treasure payoffs, um, and not just the fact that you're ramping, but there's lots of things you can do with your treasure. Um, it's not a, a, a neat um, ability per se, or an or, or innovative make, but it's once again playing into this idea that I think Wizards has decided that they like treasure as an option to give people and give all colors options to ramp without just playing the traditional rampy pieces. Um, I'm increasingly okay with treasure. I think at first when I saw them in Ixalan, I wasn't really down, but now I'm pretty okay with them. I do want Wizards to be careful though with all the treasure they've given us. I think that I want them to kind of walk it back for a bit. Um, because I kind of feel like treasure kind of breaks the 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 the, pie, the color pie, because now all five colors can ramp and ramp a lot, <laughs> like a lot. Um, and so I, I definitely is concerning to me that we've got so much treasure floating around. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to find a card. Where is it? Uh, white, whooper, blue, where is, where is this card here? I saw, I faced it today, and I just couldn't get over what it did to me. And it doesn't look at, it's like, it's nothing big. Where is it? Um, no, that's not that card. It was like a common, which was like the most innocuous thing I've ever seen. Hmm. Where'd it go? Oh, Skullport Merchant. 
Two and a black for a 1-4. And when, when Skullport Merchant enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. And then one and a black, sacrifice another creature or a treasure, draw a card. This doesn't seem like a big payoff, but... Like this makes stuff and it's going to sacrifice things to make to drink you're gonna draw cards off Skullport Merchant and now you can you have a way to leverage treasure to all sorts of things and it's just it's just all over the place. So um not a new mechanic, but I think one that's worth noting as being a, a key feature of the format. So is there anything I missed, Lux, about any of those mechanics that you wanted to talk about um quickly before we we move on into cards? Uh, no, not really anything. As I stated last week, I'm not going to be touching this set. No, I mean, yeah, I'm not really in love with it. I recognize it's, I recognize there's some interest, interesting stuff to it, but it's not really my vibe, really. So I'm kind of, kind of on the outs on it. So anyway, uh, let's get into some of the rules. All right, so let's have a quick look. Okay, Asmodeus Archfiend. So, Asmodeus Archfiend, for anybody who's forgotten, and uh, so is a 4 black black for a 6-6 legendary creature devil god. It has binding contract. If you would draw a card, exile the top card of your library face down instead. And then for black black black, draw 7 cards. And then black, return all cards exiled with Asmodeus the Archfiend to their owner's hand, and you lose that much life. So, the way I read this, Lux, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and and that's why I asked Chris, was that this reads like it should be spend black, black, black. You can't actually draw seven cards. All right, so they have to go into exile. Then uh, you spend one black, and you're going to return all seven cards to your hand, and you're going to lose seven life. And let's be honest, folks, it's going to be... Uh, it's probably... That's how, that's how it's going to be worded, then you're going to get probably more than seven cards because you're after your your card that you drew for turn and any other cards you've drawn have all gone into exile with Asmodeus. So, have you seen this card get? So the question here was, folks, how does the binding contract text interact with the black 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 draw effect? Does it really mean black 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 exile seven, then pay one more black for all seven and any others that were already previously exiled? Um. So here's what Chris offered. Uh, the first ability that, that is a static ability is a replacement effect signaled by instead in the rules. So this will be uh, this will apply to any card draw, including Asmodeus's black, 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 and even the card you draw on your draw step. Then his third ability can pull cards exiled by his replacement effect into your hand. The catch is the first ability is self-referencing. This means that only the instance of Asmodeus on the battlefield when a card gets exiled can bring cards exiled that instance to your hand. So say you have 10 cards in exile from Asmodeus and he leaves the battlefield. The next time Asmodeus is on the battlefield, even if he's just blinked away and comes back, it's a new object. So in the rules of the game, those cards weren't exiled by this Asmodeus that just entered the battlefield. Battlefield is a very risky ability akin to what Jaleva offers. So that's an interesting wrinkle there, isn't it? Where if you bl yep. if Asmodeus so I'm gonna be I'm gonna we have to caution everybody here that if you're gonna play this as your commander, you may exile seven cards with Asmodeus. Then he dies, then you replay him, 
that new Asmodeus cannot bring back those cards that have already been exiled with Asmodeus because he's a new and different Asmodeus, despite the fact he's got the same name. So that's big, actually. That's kind of a that's kind of a downer, isn't it? Yep. I was kind of hot on Asmodeus. I thought he was going to be like a fixed Grizzle brand. Um, but I don't think he's actually like the more I read it, the more I'm like, uh, the, the alarm bells start to go off thinking, Ooh, this could go badly pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> so not a big fan. Of course, funny enough. All right, do you want to they, read? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to mention they get the pre-release like nobody pulled in one of these. Nobody. Nope. Or did nobody run them? Ain't nobody pulled one. Really? I would have thought, like, he's only a rare. It's not that that impossible to find. But anyway, interesting. All right. Uh, Next, we have Asa River Rock, the Archlich. So, do you want to read Asa River Rock? I'm not sure how to say that name. Ace River Rock. I've always called him Ace. Ace the Archlich. What does Ace say? Oh, let's see. Okay, and then he's in a two and a black. Legendary creature zombie wizard five five. When Ace the Archlich enters the battlefield, if you haven't completed Tomb of Annihilation, return Ace the Archlich to its owner's hand and venture into the dungeon. When Ace the Archlich attacks for each opponent, you create a two two black zombie creature token, unless that player sacrifices a creature. Okay, so the value on this card is good. However, Let's be honest. If you've looked at the dungeons, Tomb of Annihilation is arguably the one that sucks the most. Like, the effect at the end of the final room is great, but as you get there, it is punishing and it is not fun. All right, so um, room one is trapped, uh, sorry, trapped entry. Each player loses one life. And you have Veils of Fear or Oubliette. Your Veils of Fear, each player loses two life unless they discard a card. And then Sandful Cell, each player loses two life unless they sacrifice an artifact, a creature, or a land. And Or you can take an Oubliette, discard a card, sacrifice an artifact, a creature, and a land. And then last but not least, you have discard, uh, Cradle of the Death God, create the, uh, the Atropal, a legendary for, for black god horror creature with token, and, with, with token with death touch. So that's their Tomb of Annihilation. So... Ace wants you to have completed the Tomb of Annihilation or else you have to return it to your hand. Okay, Lux, having heard that dungeon, are you interested in it? No. Yeah, I mean, neither. I kind of think this card is a trap. Um, I've tried this one in Standard and in Brawl, and I don't like it. I think the card is not strong, but anyway. My question for Chris was, does his return to hand tech still trigger a card like Ayara. Um, because let's be honest, if you're like you don't really want to complete the tomb of the, the tomb of uh, whatever uh, find the card. <laughs> tomb of Annihilation. You you don't really want to. It's not a lot of fun. It's it just sounds like a lot of pain. So you're gonna be returning ace to your hand. But would that mean you can still get ace into play long enough to trigger Ayara? Or could I respond to the, sa- to the, the, the bounce effect 
with, to replace it with something like a, sac a sacrifice effect like Village Rites. So here's what Chris has to say. Since Ace, Ace's first ability is a triggered ability and nothing is stopping him from entering the battlefield to begin with, he'll still cause any triggers to happen that would normally begin. So Ayara is a good example. He'll enter the battlefield and Ayara will trigger and you'll venture into the, into the dungeon. They both go on the stack at the same time, so you, so you can order the triggers whichever way you want, if it should matter. Either way, those triggers still resolve. While Ace's ETB trigger is on the stack, you can indeed sacrifice him to any other effect uh, that his trigger resolves, as long as you can use those effects at instant speed. It's a lot of mumble jumble from Chris, um, but saying it does trigger, right? And you can you can order the triggers however you need to. Um, so you can play Ayara, like have Ayara and play play Ace at the trigger, return him to your hands, and you can do other things like I don't know, behold the multiverse, or do other things like you can do a lot of extra things with the mana. Um, anyway, so. Thoughts, locks, like with this ability, knowing that triggers Ayara, or that you could do, you could village rights it. What do you think? And like I might be interested. Like I'd probably have to see it in play, though. Here's my thought: <laughs> if you're using this to trigger your uh, your Ayara, I feel like there's a problem here. That's what I think. I feel like there's a problem. Um, I don't really like like that as like that's that's the motivation. I know you could do it, and maybe mono black players will. Still think it's kind of junk as, as a mechanic to pay, as a payoff. Sacrificing it for cards, I'm like, surely to goodness we can do better, right? Right. Yeah. That's oh, why I, I said. Like that's why I said I might be interested, but I think I'm out because. Unless you're prepared to go and muddle with the metal of the dungeon, like you're not going to get the creature to stick, and so now you're trying to leverage it bouncing in and out of play to some for some degree. And I don't know, <laughs> don't don't love it. All right. Next, we have the Book of Exalted Deeds. Oh, this one is this one got banned. This yeah. one got banned. So white 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 legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, if you gain three or more life this turn, create a 3-3 three, three white angel creature token with flying. Why three? I guess because you're saying three mana, three life, or sorry, yeah, three life, or yeah. Okay, the piece that really is concerning is white, 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 tap, exile the book of exalted deeds, put an enlightened counter on target angel. It gains, you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. Activate only as a sorcery. So they reprinted us. Oh, Platinum Angel? Is that the card? Yeah, it's Platinum Angel. So <clears throat> here's my question, Lux. Is this text for real? This doesn't grant the angel indestructible or anything, it just means you can't lose the game. So if we deal with the angel that has got the enlightened counter on it, does this really matter anymore? And can we recur the book? Because that kind of feels important. If you're going to put all your eggs in the angel basket and you don't want to lose the game because your angels may be expensive and slow, 
you'd like to know you can get the book back, right? So yeah. let's start off. Is the text for real? Here's what Chris has to say. Even though it doesn't protect the the, the target that that the second ability puts the enlightened counter target on, white is one of the better colors for protecting its creatures. Putting it on Faceless Haven recently got it banned in standard 2022 on Arena, which makes it a lot harder to deal with with uh, with, with since lands are are often treated as sacrosanct in Commander. So we saw essentially what Chris is telling us here that um, no, it doesn't kill the. You can kill the creature, you can kill the Platinum Angel, you can kill whatever angel you're putting the Enlightened Counter on. Um, the difference becomes, you know, while that's in play, you just can't lose. But you, the creature can still absolutely die. So, um, but we're being encouraged to put it on creatures like Mutavault or Faceless Haven because they're both all creature types all at once. And you can put it, you know, in a deck playing obviously Angel of Hope or other things that protect, you know, your installations um, to just make it such that you can't actually kill the thing with the lightning trigger, and like, meaning you win the game because you can't be killed. Seem like garbage? I mean, honestly, thing, I'm just going to say thing. What dumpster fire is this? Seriously, like, what do you mean? Like, what do you mean? I can't, like, you know what would happen? Like, I wouldn't run it because bottom line is, like, it's just not cool. It's just not a, like, like, no one wants to, what, I can't beat you now because my land has now got an enlightened counter and I can't, and you, since you can't kill the land because you didn't, because you're playing things that don't destroy land, that's kind of junk. It's kind of junk. And I, I know I like being the villain, but this card, they, yeah, I'm not touching it. That's fair. Um, as, a, as for ways to get it back, there aren't that many. Um, so pull from Eternity. Uh, you can copy it with Mirage Mirror. Um, you can get, like, Phyrexian Metamorph or Clever Impersonator both do it. Um, you could turn it into a creature and copy it with Sakashima of a Thousand Faces. That's pretty good. So yeah, you, there are a few ways of getting it back, but there are not many. All right, next we have Xanathar Guild Kingpin. Too much text on these cards. Lux, you want to go ahead and read Xanathar? And here, let me pull it up real quick. By all means. Jesus, expensive still. Whew. And they, I, I honestly thought it would go down in price. Well, it's not yet. It's <laughs> so read it, Xanathar. Okay, Xanathar King Guildpen, the Guild Kingpen, the four and a and blue black legendary creature beholder, the five six. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose target opponent until end of turn. That player can't cast spells. You may look at the top card of their library at any time. You may play at the top card of their library. You may spin it as though it were men of any color to cast spells this way. So. That seems pretty straightforward. It's kind of like Gaunty, but Gaunty yeah. on steroids. Yeah. Um, so my question is, can I only cast one spell off the top? Or, you know, can I then cast subsequent spells off the top of the same deck each turn? So for instance, let's say Lux and I are playing with uh, Sona and Feth. 
both people who've been on the show. Uh, I could use Xanathar on one turn to target Lux's deck and cast a number of cards off the top of his deck with Xanathar's ability, as long as I had the mana for it. Does that not suck? (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm going to need a copy for my, uh, my, my Villainous Wealth deck, but, whew, whew, Xanathar, it'd be dirty, dirty. All right, any other questions there, Alexa, about Xanathar, or do you think you pretty well got it? And I think I got it. Okay, let's look at Zariel, Archduke of Avernus. So Zariel says, two red red for legendary planeswalker Zariel, plus one, creatures you control get plus one plus oh, and gain haste until end of turn. Zero, create a one one red devil creature token that says when this creature dies, it exiles, it deals one damage to any target. And then minus six, you get an emblem with at the end of the first combat phase on your turn, untap target creatures you control. After this phase, there is an additional there is an additional combat phase. All right. So my question for uh, for Chris was the following: the emblem. Did I read the emblem? I feel like I did, but I may have forgotten. You get an emblem with at the end of your first combat phase on your turn, untapped target creature you control. After this phase, there is additional combat phase. So the emblem there, is there a way to screw up the timing on the additional combat phase? I ask because when we saw Zendikar rising, Morog, which is the giant minotaur that gives you extra combat phases, had some timing that could you could mess it up and not get your combat phase. So could you bosh it here? Right, that's a big deal, right, Lux? If you're gonna, if you're the guy yeah. who's looking to get extra combat phases, you don't want to screw that up, right? And no, you do not. Because you're only going to get one shot at it. Because your opponents are going to be wise to it, and they go kill you. So, um, Zarian's emblem's trigger is a bit easier than Morog's. The Zariel emblem is a specific time that will trigger no matter what at the beginning of your first combat step. It specifies the trigger can only happen at the end of the first combat. So you can't stack it in any way, and you don't get to choose how you're sequencing the, the extra combat combat step during your turn. The emblem chooses for you. It's a lot more straightforward. So you can't really screw it up here because Zariel's is very specific about when you get your trigger. So which is good news. A relief, a relief to say the to say the least. All right, Lux, how about Circle of Dreams Druid? Read it for us. And Circle of Dreams Druid for three green, like creature, elf druid, two, one. Tap, add uh, one green for each creature you control. And notice how it says each creature, not each non-token creature. Yeah. This, is, this card is crazy. Yeah. Oh. Um, my question is, okay, folks, we know this is Gaia's Cradle on a land. Um, but still, it asked the, I had to ask the question, what does this do with Nyx Bloom Ancient? Does that not just sound gross, playing like this plus Nyx Bloom Ancient? Honestly, like, that's a combo I'd really want to uh, try. 
Yeah, seems wise. <laughs> yeah. It seems <laughs> like next next Blue Mage is gonna go crazy with, with Circle of Ancient uh, Circle of Dreams Druids, so yeah. Um all right. Dungeon descent. Are we ready? Yep. All right. Um do you wanna read it or should I? <clears throat> and I read the last one. Yeah, fair enough. Dungeon descent enters the battlefield tapped. Tap it, add a colorless. Four and a tap. Tap an untapped legendary creature you control. Venture into the dungeon. Activate only as a sorcery. My question was, is this the worst rare land ever? What do you think, Lux? Is this the worst rare land ever? Definitely seems like it. Garbage. Anyway, so Chris, here's Chris's answer to that. Actually, I think that belongs to Throne of McKinney from Zendikar Rising, or at least close to it. Um, to be fair, I can see a case for Dungeon Descent. To be fair... Sorry. Um, in some sort of control shell that ekes out value from the dungeons over a long, grindy game. It's not spectacular, and I don't expect to see it, much of it, if at all. But worst? Yeah, no, I don't think so. There we go. There's lots, that's his opinion. More of a... Uh, an opinion question than a rules question. Um, I don't think anyone's playing this in Commander ever, but that's just me. It be hot garbage. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. A long rest. Lux, this is going to be you then. You can read long rest. And X and uh, green, green, green sorcery. Return X target cards with different mana values from your graveyard to your hand. If eight or more cards were returned to, to your hand this way, your life total becomes equal to your starting level. So long rest. Okay, so my question was to Chris, because obviously you really want to drive the home. Like the, the best case scenario is you can get eight cards with this. So um, does the does the land count as zero? Like does it count as a zero converted mana cost or mana value? Sorry. Um, and so here's Chris's response. Cards without mana cost, such as lands, have a mana value of zero, so that they can count as being um, sure. Let me, let me go back to that. Cards without mana cost, such as without lands, have a mana have a mana value of zero, so they can count as being one of the eight different mana costs. As the likeliness of hitting eight different cards, one can very easily be a land, which brings you the required mana value down to seven different ones. You're paying 10 mana to try and hit the requirement to set your life total to the starting total. Probably pretty late into the game at that point, and your graveyard is likely to be pretty rife with different targets of different costs. Not entirely unlikely. So, I know we had discounted, just discounted that ability, and, luck, and, and he's not quite prepare, prepare, prepared to discard the ability of hitting all eight. Has he changed your mind, any Lex, that we should be looking to play all eight from long, uh, from long rest? And like, honestly, like I'm not really sure. And they, like, honestly, they, I know, and I actually like the card, but I think I might just give it a pass. Yeah, no, I, I still think I'm game to try it. Um, I don't think hitting. I don't think I'm going to hit eight, all, all eight cards, nor do I think I really want to do it. If I ever do, it's kind of like one of those like achievements you unlock as you play, but I don't think you're actually supposed to get all eight cards. 
Like, I'm just sitting here looking at a deck here, flipping through one here, like, beside me. It's my Neveneral deck, so, like, what would I get? So, what could I get that would likely end up in my graveyard for two mana? So, Wings of Abandoned is technically two mana. Three. Mu Ling, maybe? Sure, why not? Um, four. Um, Smothering Tithe? It probably died, right? Someone want to kill it um at five mana tezzeret artifice 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 master seems reasonable what about six do i have a six i've got sire stagnation is six it could end up in the graveyard realm of cloak the realm cloak giant is seven. Oh, well, don't forget the land the land makes so one two three four five six seven cards i need one more I need something that is eight or something that's one. So I got a Kaya's Ghost Form. So I guess this deck could get all eight cards if you include a land. I don't know. But now I'm having to play green in my in my in my Esper deck, so that's a bit of an issue. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you're gonna do it. I don't know if you're ever doing that. Just don't know. Alright, next. Marcus, Prince of Undeath, which I like. But here we go. X, two, black, red. Five, three, legendary creature, demon. Flying, trample. When Orcus, Prince of Undeath, enters the battlefield, choose one. Uh, each other creature gets minus X, minus X, until end of turn, you lose X life. Then return up to X. Target creature cards with total convertible mana cost, mana value, sorry, X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield they gain haste until end of turn so the question lux was this uh is this impacted by commander tax in such a way as that it can be applied towards the x in the command in the casting cost and be counted sadly and i think i knew this it could not um which is disappointing right lux i mean is that greedy of me yeah. that i want to you know i don't think it's greedy apparently it breaks the rules so um you cannot you cannot 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 leave your like just have your commander just matter that way so i like i like orcus i'm just reluctant to get too on board with orcus so oh commander tax all right, go ahead. Sphere of Annihilation. For X and a black artifact, Sphere of Annihilation enters battlefield with X board counters on it. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile Sphere of Annihilation. All creatures and planeswalkers with mana value less than or equal to the number of void counters on it, and all creature and planeswalkers and graveyard mana values less or equal to the number of void counters on it. Okay. So. This card um, is obviously very powerful. It's like you could, you know, you can. This can wipe out something small and tactical, and be used to wipe out lots of stuff, you know, very broadly. Um, yeah, no, I think it's good. Um, so the question is this: This seems too good to be true. Is there a catch to this card? I mean. X equals four means you killed most everything on the table in most cases. 
Can I proliferate the counters if I need to get something bigger? Does winding constrictor work with this the way I think that it should? Chris's response was, this is a pretty sweet, sweet mass removal card. You can proliferate or add counters to the sphere. Any effects like doubling season or winding constrictor will let you get more void counters on it. Since with those effects, the kind of counters don't matter to them. Only their counters. What do you think there, Lux? Hmm. Are you intrigued by Sphere of Annihilation? Honestly, think I'm going to see how well it does in play first. I think that's pretty reasonable. Um, I think I'm going to speculate that I think the card is going to be pretty widely adopted, um, and it seems pretty intuitive. And I'm glad to see we, uh, Winding Constrictor and Hardening Scales and all those guys. So, you know, I'm okay. I'm okay with it. Okay, the Black Staff of Waterdeep. You want to give it a read? All right, let me bring it up. By all means. Okay, Black Staff of Oh, incidentally, of oh, before we go too far... Uh, I can see, uh, I, Lux, I can see you being somebody who plays Fear of Annihilation and loading it up in a pile of counters, just blowing up the table. That's what I think, that's <laughs> what I think it's going to do. I think we need to, think, I think once you get a hold of a Sphere of Annihilation, I think we need to count the number of times you do that to the table. Yeah. So your job is now to keep track. Like, first off, I think you need to get a Sphere of Annihilation, and then I think you need to put it in your Nethroi deck you're building. Yep. And then you need to do it. And every time you do it, you need to take note of it and let us know. Dale? Yep. All right. You keep going with Blackstaff of Waterdeep. Okay. Like for one blue legendary artifact, you may choose not to untap the Blackstaff of Waterdeep doing your untap step. Animate walking statue, one blue tap. Another target non token artifact you control becomes a 4 4 artifact creature for as long as the Blackstaff of Waterdeep remains tapped. Activate only as a sorcery. All right. So my question is, why is this a blue card? Um, the effect itself is fairly easy, but it's called the Black Staff of Waterdeep. The Black Staff. And here it is on a blue card. Um, but I guess beggars can't be choosers. Uh, so Chris writes here, animating non-creature artifacts has been, mostly, uh, has been almost solely in blue, mechanically speaking. I remember fondly building decks around the Marxist machines when Mirrodin came out. That's the first instance of blue animating effects, uh, artifacts that, can be, that I can remember. But it's been a staple of the color for a while now. Uh, when Pioneer was still a thing, uh, Inzol Artifact was one, of the f was one of the key cards to a pretty spicy aggro deck with Bomat Courier and Heart of Kirin. Clearly, we're missing, we're missing the boat on the Black Staff of Waterdeep. Yeah. Okay. Another Nethroi friend right here, Triumphant, Aven uh, Triumphant Adventurer. I hate this card. <laughs> this card is a trap, too. Okay. Black, white. It's Triumphant Adventurer. Black and white for a 1 1 human knight with death touch. It's a knight? I didn't realize it was a knight. Oh. Okay. It's a knight. As long as it's your turn, Triumphant Adventurer has first strike. So, get, for the record, for those playing along at home, first strike and death touch. Yuck. Uh, whenever Triumphant Adventurer attacks, venture into the dungeon. 
So, unfortunately, this has the dungeon text on it, but I don't really mind. Yeah. So, my question was this, Lux. Come on. Death Droid, how is that fair? How you beat a Death Strike creature? Does protection work? How would indestructibility work? The rules text on Death Touch says that the creature that is dealt damage is destroyed, so protection will work. Uh, DET, or D-E-B-T, is a great acronym to remember what protection works against. And I think that's very pertinent, because lots of times we run into giving creature, target creature um, protection from something, and... You know, the debt is a pretty good bet as to what's going on. Do you like this card, Lux? Does it go in your Nethroid deck? It, honestly, nothing. I'm probably not going to put it in the deck because odds are my playgroup's probably going to roll zero it. Really? They think, yeah. is that, they think is that overpowered? They, honestly, they, they practically roll zero to, like, plenty of cards just to prevent me from playing them this one doesn't feel that powerful like honestly like it feels very manageable so yeah but like they don't want to they they don't want to give me the chance to find some way of breaking it uh i guess i guess uh, i don't know i i don't think it's that powerful i don't think that broken i think it's like just a pretty good little value creature but i don't know I just don't like first strike and death touch because now blocking it's a nightmare. It's just a nightmare to block this thing. Particularly once you once you like you make it a two two or something, like pump it a little bit. Like this is nasty. So yeah, I mean I I like the card. I just don't know how much you're gonna play with it. All right, all right. Let's move on. Last but not least, we have Volo Guide to Monsters. Do you want to? Is this my read or yours? And I did in a two, so you do too. Sure. Volo, Guide to Monsters. Legendary creature, human wizard. For two, green and a blue. He's a three, two. And this guy is sweet because whenever you cast a creature spell that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, copy that spell. So he's kind of like an anti-tribal card. You don't want to play tribes with Volo. You just want to play the monsters. So... Uh, what is my question here? So, what constraints do players need to keep in mind when casting Volo? So, uh, Volo, so Chris says, as Volo's title implies, you're going to want to look at monsters rather than humans or other humanoid tribes, such as elves, merfolk, Vidalkin, or the like. You'll want to keep it limited. The thing is about the humanoid races of magic is, is that they very often have two or even three card types. If you're looking to maximize Volo's triggered ability, you'll want to avoid overlap as much as possible. You could also use some otherwise unassuming cards like Unnatural Selection to help you get the most of Volo, since, since tuning the deck will probably result uh, in at least some overlap of any single type creatures. Many of Green's beat creatures tend to be, no, sorry, tend to be beasts or elementals. For example, so cards that are temporarily change something's creature Creature type would be very helpful. Blue has a lot wider of a net uh, for what to look to to include in the deck because you'll probably be looking looking for utility there. Also, make sure that your make sure that your where did it go? I lost my I lost my text. Uh, 
Yeah, be sure you're looking for utility. As also, make sure to look for look check Scryfall for all creatures you add to the deck, especially cards older than pre-Guilds of Ravnica or so. It's not uncommon for um, for wizards to errata swaths of cards and add creature types to them. Uh, we saw that with dragons or dinosaurs recently. I think it was dinosaurs. Um, anyway, uh, add creature types to them so they add a new one and have the mechanical relevance either in an upcoming set or a, or soon in the future. They did this with humans during the during the Great Type update uh, when Eighth Edition came along. Uh, up shortly thereafter, it's been a while. Uh, when adding dinosaurs with the release of Exelon and most recently making Phyrexian an actual creature type, you'd be surprised how many old border creatures have types you would expect after the uh, after the eighth edition update too. So that's pretty cool. I like I like Volo. I'm interested in Volo. Lux. Build Volo next week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Do it. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, people are going to question us. All right. Uh, I think that's all the questions we had. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want have other questions that you wanted to ask that didn't get re- addressed, by all means, send us an email or, or text us and ask your question and get it going so we can get started. And ask Chris, too, about other things that we might have missed. Okay. That's been a long one there, Lux. Do you think yeah. we should do a deck, or do you think we should hold off on a deck this week? I think it's late. I think we should hold off on, a, on, yeah. our, uh, on our deck. I will save this one for another time. Yeah, we'll save it for another time, folks. If you want to see it, uh, there, it's, it is a, going to be a Tiamat deck. It is on our moxfield.com. You can check it out whenever you get a chance. All right, that's just about wrap up this week's show. Thank you to Chris for contributing his knowledge to us. He may not be here, but like I said, he is here in spirit. So thank you very much. Um, we would love to have you guys leave us some feedback and uh, so and, ch- and send us some send us uh, you know contact us on social media. So you can always reach us on Twitter at at Epic EXP Cast. Um, show, link will, or the, it'll be in the show notes on how to reach us um, by Facebook. Or you can always email us at theepicexperimentpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, as always, leave, uh, leave a question, ask, you know, make a comment, whatever you like. Um, we're happy to, to interact with our audience. Um, also, if you like our deck or any of our other decks, you be sure to check out the, uh, moxfield.com and use the Epic Experiment Podcast as our username, all one word. Ask a question, leave a comment. Uh, all right, uh, going forward, if you guys are listening to us on your favorite podcast app, we would love it if you could like, subscribe, leave a comment, uh, tell a friend, whatever you need to do. Every little bit helps to get the word out that we are here talking commander each and every week. We'd love to hear from you guys, help to hear from our audience all over the world. Uh, we had a big, uh, uh, with somebody in Norway checking us out, uh, Germany, France, Ukraine, Australia, lots of great places checking us out. Um, we'd love to hear from our audience wherever you are in the world. Um, and so helping us out spread the word a little, a little bit louder that we're out and about is awesome. 
Uh, and next week, we're going to be bringing on Patrick, uh, also known as DVMTG, to talk about a little pre-rotation um, pre finance. I know it's a dirty word, but we're going to talk about it anyway. But that is for next week. Until then, this is the Epic Fan Podcast signing off, wishing you all the best wherever you next play Magic. Thanks very much, everybody. Take care. Have a great week. Talk to you next week.